Acts chapter 2. That's where we'll be this morning, Acts chapter 2. Um, there's going to be, the main text of the, pa- of the sermon this morning is, is found there. We're going to jump around a little bit as we kind of always do, but that's kind of the home base as it were. We're beginning a new series. We started a new series last week called Why This? And what we're trying to accomplish with this series is to be very clear about why we do the things that we do. Uh, If you're new here, you're new to the faith, you're new to our kind of church, uh, this will clear up hopefully any questions you have. If you've been here for a long time, I'm hoping that this will be revivalistic and you'll be excited because in the end, in the end, all of this is about us following God. And what we're hoping to do is open the scriptures and say, what does the scriptures tell us to do? And if we find that we are actually doing that, then we should be excited. We should be excited that, hey, what the Bible tells us to do, we're doing it. And that means that God's with us, right? And, and that's exciting, a good place to be. Uh, this is usually the most controversial sermon I'll preach. Uh, so every couple of years, everybody gets mad at me, and, and you're here for it. Um, last week, uh, repentance is a hard um, pill to swallow for those people who haven't heard it before, for, for non-Christians. It's hard to hear, listen, there really is heaven, there really is hell, there really is sin, there really is something you need to repent of. That's hard. This Sunday, we're talking about baptism, which for, I, I don't think it should be, but for whatever reason, somebody always leaves mad at me. And, uh, and, and hopefully we can be on the same page. I'm going to try to be very, very clear. Um, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is a very important chapter. If you'll, if you'll kind of put yourself in the story for a moment, there was 40 days where Jesus was basically silent. He had risen from the grave, and he is speaking and teaching his disciples, the apostles, but he isn't um, in the street. He isn't preaching and proclaiming throughout the city. He is preaching and proclaiming just to that small group. Then he ascends to the right hand of the Father, and there's this 10-day break where nothing much is really happening. And then the day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples who are in that upper room and they come just burning out of this upper room proclaiming the gospel. Lives are changed. There's just all of this amazing uh, uh, activity that's happening. And there's this sermon that Peter gives in Acts chapter 2. So the Spirit has fallen. They're out in the street preaching. People say, what's going on? And he says, let me tell you what is going on, and he delivers a message that includes Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, includes the power of the Holy Spirit. He delivers all of this, and we read that the men and women who hear this message are cut to the heart, all the way down, and they proclaim in a loud voice, you can imagine them interrupting Peter and saying, brothers, what should we do? We have this information, we have this message, we have this gospel. What do we do with this? And Peter replies to them, here's what you need to do. You need to repent, and you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not really that complicated, right? I mean, that's that's pretty clear. And yet, as you're probably well aware, we all argue about it. Go up and down Oakland Drive and stop at a church and say, what do you guys believe about repentance? 
And they'll have a different list of people. The, all these people need to repent. And these people are okay. You stop and, at every church along Oakland Drive and, and ask the question, what do you believe about baptism? I guarantee you, you will get a different answer at every single church. Say, how do we practice baptism? A different answer at every single church. To me, this is confusing because I, I feel like it's really clear. But I want to sort of lay out for you why we baptize the way that we, the way that we do. So as you might know, there are two kinds of, uh, uh, of people in terms of uh, how the mode of baptism. We have people who are what we call pedo-baptists, that is they'll sprinkle or pour water on the head of an infant. And then there are those who are credo-baptists, that's what we are. We practice believer's baptism. You have to be able to declare your faith in Jesus. You have to be able to do, where is it, this part right there. If you can't do this part, this part doesn't make any sense. Um, so what we say is follow the scripture. It says repent. Um, infants can't do this uh, and be baptized. And so that's, that's, that's what we have there. There is a big argument, again, like I said, between these two groups of people, the Lutherans next door. I said that this sermon series isn't so that you can go and lob theological rocks at the Lutherans. But we do want to be upfront and clear about what we think the scriptures teach so that we can be obedient to what the scriptures teach, so that we can be obedient to God. And so I'm going to give you a quick little Greek lesson. Some of you are very familiar with this. Um, this is the Greek word for baptize. Here you see it in, in Acts 2.38. Um, repent, right there, and be baptized. In fact, this is actually an imperative. So, be baptized! <laughs> kind, of, kind of the way that the, the thing is... is is worded there. This is the uh, called BDAG. This is if you if you go to any college and you say, "Hey, I want to learn Greek," they'll make you buy two books, uh, usually more than that, but at least two books. One would be a Greek New Testament, and the second would be a Greek dictionary. That doesn't sound nearly cool enough, so we call it a lexicon. <laughs> this is then the standard entry. If you go to that lexicon, the standard entry, and it says this: to use water in a rite for the purpose of renewing and establishing relationships with God. To plunge, to dip, to wash, to baptize. I know nothing, I knew nothing. When, in fact, when, when uh, they were going to kick us out of the hospital after Laura had Emery, I was like really nervous. Like I figured I had to sign some papers or take a class. Like they just hand you a kid and say, good luck. Like, and to the kid, right? I mean, like, hope you last, hope you survive this thing. Because this dude, he knows nothing and I knew nothing. Um, and so Laura did most of the, um, the, the, the washing because I would have taken the kid and plunged, dipped, or what, right? But you don't do that, right? So that's why we have sprinkling on top of heads. That's why you don't, you don't actually submerge a kid because um, that's not good. But the word in Greek is to submerge something. So if what we're going to do is look at the scriptures and say, hey, what are the scriptures telling us to do? If Peter delivers this knockout sermon that includes the full gospel that has now been revealed, especially that uh, the Holy Spirit has now come upon them, then it seems to me that very clearly we should immerse someone. Right? We should have somebody who can repent. And we should have somebody who can be immersed. And that is why we baptize in the way that we in the way that we baptize. I want to give you a little history lesson. Because some of you might be well aware that around from about 500 AD to about 1500 AD, the Roman Catholic Church kind of held sway. 
Everyone, if you were born in the Western world, you were born Roman Catholic. And part of that is that you, you, you're, you're sprinkled as an infant. But what happened in 1516 is Erasmus, who was a scholar, developed and, and, and put together all of these manuscripts, all of these Greek manuscripts, and he published a Greek New Testament. Now, this is important because it's not just that you have the Bible in your own language, but now you have the Bible in the original language, and so you can read for yourself exactly what Peter said. They were able to open it up in Greek and read this word, baptizo, and they said, oh my goodness, that means you take something and you immerse it. You plunge it under the water. And so there was a group of people who got together to study the scriptures, uh, Conrad Grebel, Felix Manns, and George Blaurock. They got together one winter evening to study the scriptures. And they're studying it in Greek. They're reading it. And they come across this passage that, that Peter preaches. They come across this word baptizo. And they say, none of us have been immersed. We haven't obeyed this word. We haven't kept what God told us to do. And so all of them, all 15 who had gathered there uh, that evening, uh, I don't know if they cut, because this is in Switzerland, so I imag- I've never been to Switzerland, but I imagine their Januarys are just as cold as ours, and there are no bathtubs, right? So you found water, and you cut a hole in the ice, and you baptized. I mean, this is serious business, these guys got together. Well, a few days later on the 29th, the, the, the whole city is astir because suddenly there are these people saying, look, here, it says, it says in the scripture that we need to be immersed and, and we, haven't, we haven't been immersing people. We need to do this. The whole city, all, all of Zurich is, is thrown into turmoil and they bring the city council together and the city council listens to Conrad and Felix and George and they say, you know what? That's not how we've always done it. You ever heard that before? It's not how we always, and it's not how we've done it. And, and so you need to be quiet. They put them in jail for the night. The next morning, they get out and they start preaching again, baptizing uh, somebody. George baptized somebody the very next day. This caused more, uh, more um, turmoil, and eventually they grabbed Conrad, Felix, and George again, and they sentenced them to life in prison. Now imagine this for a moment. At prison, a life sentence in prison on a diet of nothing but bread and water. No coffee, right? Of course, you don't have anything to get up for. You're in, a, you're in jail for the rest of your life. Over what? Over keeping one word of Scripture. This one word says immerse all the way under. We're going to keep that word. And you can throw us in jail for the rest of our lives because we would rather keep 100% of the scripture and be in jail than do 99% of the scripture and be free. It's a pretty incredible story. They escaped in March, 1525. They escaped in March only to continue their ministry, to continue preaching. Now, of course, this isn't the only thing they're preaching. They're preaching the gospel. But when it comes to a moment of response, when somebody says, oh my goodness, this good news that you have about Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit and, and all of this, I, I want a piece of it. What do I do? They went back to Peter and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, so you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They included that in there. And what was their reward? In uh, 1527, Felix is captured by the authorities. They tie weights to his ankles and they drown him in the Lamont River. There's some irony there, I think, for preaching what that Greek word means. Same thing happens to Conrad. He's, uh, 
He dies as he's on the run from the authorities. He gets sick and he dies. And uh, uh, George um, is uh, driven, beaten and driven from Zurich, Zurich. And then he is martyred a few years later in Austria. For what? For one word of scripture. Now, I tell you this story because I am bothered and, uh, that I... I think perhaps the, 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 the root of the issue is this. Where did our conviction go? I mean, these, these people are dying, literally dying. All they have to do is say, we're not going to talk about this anymore. All they have to do is say, you know what? This is how we've always done it. Just let's, just, let's just do it the way we've always done it. Don't forget about it. Forget about it. That's all they have to do. And they said, no. We will keep 100% of the scripture even if it kills us. And it did. And it did. Where did our conviction go? Where did our conviction about truth, where did our conviction of, of, of searching the scriptures and saying, what is it that God tells us to do? And every single line that I can find in there that says, do this, Jordan, so that you can be faithful to God, I would, I would rather die than, than abandon it. Where did our conviction go? I'm troubled by this um, because I, I run into, um, we're sort of known to be the sticklers about baptism. <laughs> um, people say, you know, why, why, why are you such sticklers about baptism? In fact, we've had people who have come to this church and they love everything about this church. They love all your lovely faces. They love my lovely face as well. That's, they, they, I bearded it so it would be, you know. The one thing that they can't stand is this baptism thing. They say, why, why, is this, you know, why is this such a big deal to you? And I say, because Peter said, repent and be baptized. Because people literally died when they found out that this is what the word means, they died for it. What do you, what do you mean, why do I make a big deal out of it? I make a big deal out of it because it's in the scriptures, and I want to be faithful unto death. We, um, we read here. Peter answered them very succinctly, very clearly. There's no ambiguity there. There's no, there's no mystery here. There's no argument here. He says very clearly, repent, be baptized, obey what the scriptures say. Now, we have uh, other people who, um, in fact, a few, few weeks ago, we had a baptism here. You'll never forget that one, I'm sure, uh, when I forgot to turn on the heater. And so I nearly, uh, she got the spirit right then. <laughs> uh, afterward, uh, afterward, I had a conversation with a person, and this person says to me, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. That's what he says to me. Well, I said, well, I don't, I don't know. We get into arguments with people all the time. They say, uh, uh, if you're not arguing with the, the Lutherans next door, uh, you're arguing with the Baptists on the other side who say, well, it's just an outward sign of an inward act, right? The salvation happens within you, and, and so baptism's just kind of like saying to everybody, look, guys, I'm a Christian. It's, it's not essential. Now, I don't know. Are you guys reading the same thing I'm reading? I, if your question to me is, and somebody has posed me this question before, on the way to the church, you're going to get baptized, and you get hit in a car, do you go to hell? Well, probably not. 
right? Probably not. God's really gracious and good and loving and merciful. And he calls us to obey. And the question is, if you're on the way to obedience, I suppose you're sort of obeying as you're going, right? But the question, oops, I did that, sorry. The question seems to me to be a silly one because which one of the laws or which one of the things that God tells me to do do I not have to do? Which one? In fact, to me, this, this takes baptism and it shrinks it down to nothing more than me saying something. That's it. That's all it is. It's, it's not that meaningful. Well, that just doesn't seem to me to line up with what Scripture says. And so I want to share with you some expanded Scriptures beyond just what we have here, just this message that says obey. I want to show you some of the deep and I think very meaningful things that happen, the Scriptures have to say about the power and importance of baptism. And to make it easy for you, they all start with S. Salvific. Start with salvific. Baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ. We identify with his victory over sin. We, we identify with his victory over death. We identify our, ourselves with him by taking and going under the water and coming back up again. That's exactly what Romans chapter 6 says. Romans chapter 6 d- details, and we'll talk about it here in a few minutes, but it details exactly that. You, just like Jesus, are going under the water. You are dying, and you are coming up a new creation. Why does baptism matter? Because that is how the scriptures say we identify ourselves with who Jesus is. We read here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body. It's not because the sin has somehow metaphysically attached to you. And once you get into the special holy water, that special holy water does all the washing away. No, it, it, it's, not, it's not that at all. There's nothing within the water itself physically that changes you, but the way in which you are declaring your conscience before God and before the church and saying, I identify myself with you. This is how the scriptures have called us to do it. It seems very apropos because if we had a real tomb here that we were putting you guys in for three days, that would be weird, right? That would be strange. But it makes a whole lot of sense to, to, for the scriptures and for God to say, this is the symbol that I'm going to use to reveal the salvation that you are now a part of. Baptism corresponds to this. Because our conscience is now clear before God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's the part that we respond to. And God does what? Forgives the sin and gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We respond to God's gospel and God transforms us completely. No one argues about repentance. But suddenly when Christians start talking about baptism, we get really shaky all of a sudden. I want to ask the question, where's your conviction? Where's our hunger? The scriptures here connect baptism as a salvific expression of God's power over our lives. Much like wedding rings identify us with marriages and jerseys identify us with certain teams, things like that. Again, baptism attaches to that. So, not only does it have salvific implications, but it also has social implications. I'm sorry, this is sort of a big text, and so kind of had to move it around a lot, but it has... um, uh, social implications. We are now baptized into the body of Christ 
that is a society that transcends social differences. So a lot of times, we think of baptism as an individual act. I am repenting. I am being baptized. It is sort of there's a me and Jesus moment. False. False. And we are so guilty as a church of doing this. You have not been baptized into Jesus alone. You were baptized into his body. You now belong to a new people. Before, you could have been called all sorts of things. You could have been called rich or poor or black or white or American or Canadian or, or, or uh, whatever it is that defined who you were, male, female, all of these things that you had that were how you said, this is, this is, this is my people, these are my family, this is my blood. Whatever it was before is no longer who you are. You are baptized into the body of Christ and there is now a new social order. There is a new society, a new kingdom, a new people. What people should experience when they run into our midst is a little piece of heaven. They should look at us and say, man, look at how these people love each other And they no longer seem to delineate those differences. They no longer have walls that are built up based on whether or not you're a man or a woman, or whether you're young or old, or whether you're rich or poor, or whether you're black or white, or or whatever. Those things are now destroyed and demolished and gone. Galatians 3, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. So therefore, there is no longer Jews or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Adam's offspring. All of us now have been baptized into a new social reality. That's why baptism matters so much. Because it is how God has called us to identify with his salvation. And it is how he has called us to become a part of a new people. To become a part of his family. Thirdly, uh, saintly. So, baptism has salvific, social, and saintly implications. This passage here from Romans, as I was talking about earlier, um, explains how baptism functions within the, uh, the salvation that we're experiencing. What shall we say then? Are we to continue on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means we have died to sin. We, uh, or sorry, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. So baptism has that salvific implications, it has social implications, but it has implications about our new moral identity. There are people who are saying, because God has forgiven us, because we're free in Christ, I can kind of do whatever I want, right? And Paul says, no. No, that's not right. You went into the water, you died. You went into the tomb, you died. And you were raised up, just as Jesus was raised up to a new walk of life. A new creation stands in the midst of a new people 
because of what God has done in you. And if you have died then and been raised to a new kind of life, how could you live that way anymore? We explain it to kids with caterpillars and butterflies, right? Can a butterfly live like a caterpillar? No, and neither can a caterpillar live like a butterfly. Once their transformation has happened, the transformation is complete, and all that was former in the way of life that existed is now dead and gone and done away with, and a new life has emerged, hopefully more beautiful, transformed completely. So why does baptism matter so much? Why do we harp on it? Why do we invite it? It matters so much because it has salvific, social, and saintly implications. And all of this is just what the scripture says. So when I get into a conversation with people, I try to be very clear. Say, our good friends across the, 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 across the grass over there, good, meaningful, well-intentioned uh, people Listen, we we have to give up the new, well, it's not new, but the modern idea that everyone is right. Not all ideas are right. We get this, don't we? Have you seen those? um, I see them on Facebook all the time, the order of operations problems. It's like one minus one times one plus zero minus zero times zero. And it's like, do it right. And then then you you can't just go all the way through, right? You have order of operations. I'm doing this right. You're with me, right? Okay, the order of operations, you have, to, you have to do it in the right manner. You do multiplication first and so on and so on. Because if you don't do it right, what's the answer? Wrong, right? We get this in every area of our life, and suddenly when we start talking about ethics, when we start talking about morality, when we start talking about what do the scriptures say, we want to go, it's because we want to be nice, we don't want to be confrontational, we don't want to cause ways. And so what we say is, well, you know, that's, it's, that, that's your perspective, that's nice, Okay, we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just sort of ignore this and go. No, listen, the scriptures give us all we need. God assumes you are reasonably intelligent people. Was he right? Yes. <laughs> yes, he was. He gives you a book. He gives you a book. And, and certainly, everything in the scripture, there are mysteries there. There are things that we can't fully understand. There are things that are maybe uh, very complicated, and we, 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 don't, we don't know all of the answers for everything. But when it comes down to how do you respond to the gospel, do you think he wants to trick you? And what do you think he wants you to do once you have been given that information? He wants you to take it and to share it with other people. And so if Peter says... At the end of his gospel sermon, and somebody asks the question, man, don't we want that to happen too? Okay, what do I do? I believe you. I believe you. They all standing there believed Peter's message, which is why they asked the question, what do we do with it? And Peter says, here you go. Turn away from your old way of life. Be immersed and follow. This uh, probably couldn't be more clear. I wanted to expand on this. Um, I wanted to expand on this because it was so important to me as I was having that conversation with that gentleman, I don't know, maybe two or three, maybe a month ago. And he, and he was talking about it, and he's, he's like, well, baptism just, I mean, it's just an outward sign. It's all it is. I'm like, it's all it is? No. No, it's not all it is. It's many things. It is salvific 
It is a social transformation. It is our saintly transformation so that now that we are completed and fulfilled and we have now been washed in these waters and we're standing as a new creation before God, all of those things come into play. How dare we take this thing God gave us, these clear scriptures that God gave us, and reduce it to something, eh, you can do it or not do it. If you are here today, and you're mad at me, I'd love to talk with you after. Uh, If you're here today, and you believe the gospel message, you believe what Peter said, you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you believe he was in the tomb for three days, you believe he arose from the grave, you believe that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and from there to come and judge the the living and the dead, if you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit has come and fallen upon the world and God is inviting people to have salvation, if you believe that message that Peter says, now is the day of salvation, if you believe that message, then believe Peter's answer. Repent and be baptized. And if you... um, if you have been baptized, if, if you're here today in, in, in your sort of the, the cheerleader section, don't be afraid to take that message out there and to share it with other people. Don't be afraid, uh, don't be afraid of hurting someone's feelings. Don't be afraid of shrinking back. But rather, like Conrad and Felix and George, Stand upon what you read in scripture. Stand upon what you see clearly put down. Stand upon it and let them kill you if, they, if, they come, if that comes to it. But stand upon it. Be convicted about something and stand for it. Fight for it. Live for it. As we come to conclusion this morning, we offer the invitation we always offer. If it's to repent, come forward and repent. If it's to be baptized, come forward. We'll fill the baptism baptismal right now. It'll be really cold, but we will we'll do it. We'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. If you need prayer, if you just need somebody to talk with, come down front. Make today a day of transformation. Make a day. Uh, make this day the first day uh, that you follow God completely. Let's stand and sing.